Welcome to the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. Hey, I'm Kara Porba. Uh, we've got a special episode this week. Usually we review um, books about parenting. Uh, this week we're going to review uh, children's books. So um, I've got a whole whole slew of children's books in front of me and so does, so does Kara. And uh, I'm really looking forward to this episode. We've been, we've been prepping for it for a couple months now. <laughs> so uh, let's dive, dive in. Yeah. Uh, the last episode, we read Unconditional Parenting by Alfie Cohn, a book that, that Kara had recommended. Um, and I really liked it. Uh, I'd say, uh, yeah, I, it really just aligns with this, the, the philosophy of radical parenting, of um, non-intervention, or, or what I've been calling prime directive parenting. And I was annoyed by, that, by his book a little bit because I was like, I'm already sold on this idea of not not pulling rank on our kids, not oppressing our kids, not controlling our kids, not finding out better ways to manipulate our kids' actions, but shifting to a whole new relationship with your kids where you end up hopefully not even having to do that. Um, and I kept waiting, okay, like, how do we do it? How do we do it? And he, 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 in a way, he never really said it. He just said, you have to, you have to kind of fundamentally change your relationship uh, with your child. And you have to be prepping for these kind of tense situations way before the situations come up. Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to propose, I think is a, is a good idea, um, comes from some research I did when I was first trying to develop my own philosophy on, on parenting. I kind of wanted to find a way to not say no to my kid. I want, I want my child to have a lot of confidence, a lot of self-love, a lot of self-direction, and not not accept external guidance that would be in conflict with their own moral compass and their own decisions. I want them to learn um, to make their, their, their own decisions and not rely on their parents or their teachers or anybody else to tell them what's right for them. So at one point I decided to start um, taking note of every time that I heard a friend or a sibling, I had just had my fourth, uh, my third nephew, fourth of my niece and nephews born and I wanted to take note of every time I heard parents say no to their to their kids and then tried to categorize it. And so, you know, you, you always think, you know, it's for the safety of the kids. And that was that was definitely part of it, but that was very few and far between. I think a lot of them were situations where the where you're saying no just because you're in public and you're maybe embarrassed or your child is doing something you wouldn't do or bothering people at a concert. Not bothering. Everyone loves to be approached by kids at 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 like jazz in the park or something but I wanted to find a way to eliminate all the times that we say no and Alfie Cohn says in his book he says instead of asking or how why? to better you know control and, and manipulate your child you need to be asking why is it so important to you to have your child do this thing in the first place like is it really important that they clean their room every day is it really important that they make their bed and so yeah I, I felt like I could eliminate almost every time that that you say no to your child except for the safety ones, which were so few and far between, if I just normalized the conversation with my child of thinking of other people's feelings. Every time that there was a valid no, it was just your child failing to consider other people's feelings. They're taking the toy, they're scratching someone else's property, they're, um, they're doing something because they're just not thinking of other people's feelings. And so so the first set of books that I want to talk about, and Carol have a slightly different angle on this, is books that teach emotional literacy. And, you know, 
so many children's books are like dealing with numbers and letters and shapes and animals and like learning that vocabulary of, of your numbers, your letters, your shapes, your colors. Um, and I'm a big fan of these books that, that are teaching the vocabulary of, of emotions, you know, worried, happy, this one's in Spanish, impatient, shy. Um, here's a little book called, or a set of books called A Little Spot of Emotion. It does the same thing, a spot of happiness, a spot of, a spot of anxiety. I really like this one too. This is the ABCs of emotions. So um, C is for confused and, and D is for distracted. So it kind of goes through in the same way we're teaching every kid knows about x-ray fish and like uh, other weird animals from those books, um, but don't necessarily learn, learn about the vocabulary of feelings or these ones are really good ones. So this one's my body sends a signal and it talks about like, you know, I stood up straight, I felt proud. My eyes felt droopy, I was tired. Um, you know, so my head shook from side to side. My mouth got, a, got watery. I thought I might throw up, I was disgusted. So um, this is about listening to your body and understanding emotions through body awareness. This one's called listening to my body. Also very, very similar. Um, what sensations do you notice when you're excited or nervous? And it, and it kind of talks about recognizing and putting a name to the emotions that we feel. Yeah, I, I really like those ones with all the body sensations. Yeah. That's cool. My favorite set is out of print now, unfortunately. It's by this woman named Sarah Medina. And um, it's, it's just one book per emotion. So it just goes and says, like, what is impatience or whatever? And, um, you know, the pictures just have, like, examples. And the thing I love about these, there's other ones that are way more kind of moralistic, like, you don't want to feel sad or bad. Like these are just very accepting. Like we feel sad sometimes. Here's how to understand it. Here's not what you need to do to fix it or make it go away. It's just like, this is an emotion that we all feel. And Although what you have right there on that page says practice, practice ways to stop, stop feeling, feeling impatient. <laughs> that was a bad, that was a bad example. But yeah, this is of all the ones that I had, this is probably the one that I liked the most mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, you know, we all feel impatient sometimes, you know, am I the only one who feels impatient? Um, yeah. And, and then at the end, this, it, it, they always have these little like quizzes, like, what do you think these kids are feeling and shows mm -hmm. their faces, um, stuff from the facial action coding system from Paul Ekman. Uh, so I just, I really love this set. And I just, I think that one of the keys to, if you're reading Alfie Cohn, Unconditional Parenting, one of the keys to not having to intervene too much and tell your kids is just like, they're doing something and instead of saying, stop scratching that thing or stop hitting that kid. <laughs> if it's a very familiar conversation to have with your child, you can just say like, how do you think Jimmy feels about that? Or how would you, how do you think whatever? And it sucks because yeah. most of the time, we only have that conversation with our kids as a punishment. And so like learning empathy and learning to think like, oh, how do you think that does feel for him? Is like, it's, they'd almost be averse to it because it comes up only as a punishment. Well, how do you think he feels, you know? But I want to have that conversation all the time. One of the things Kara was saying is, yeah, she'd prefer not to do that. 
things, right? You'd prefer to just do it in day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing the, having the books and it's a way to like open up a familiar conversation when something is going wrong with a playmate or on the playground or whatever. And to me, the important thing, I, I actually wouldn't call it non-interference. You know, I would say we are intervening as a parent when we step in and say, hey, look at your friend's face. I don't think he liked that. Was he wanting to play with that same toy and have that conversation? That is a way of intervening, but it's a very different way than saying, give that to him. You have to share. You're being mean. And that's what I'm really interested in is how do we, can we really have that conversation about what's, what's happening between two people without labeling anybody as good or bad or mean or kind. And there's this whole thing about um, mean and nice, right? And kids learn that so early. And I, I want to stay out of that altogether about something is mean or something is nice and talk more about, you know, what is each person wanting? What is each person like or don't like? What happened? You know, how is each person feeling? And um, yeah, I can see how those books can give everybody a vocabulary for having those conversations. And I, I just tend to steer towards um, stories and characters and and stuff like that. I've never been that into like the ABC or one, two, three books of any kind, emotions or animals or otherwise, you know. Mm -hmm. You mentioned reading a Ramona book with your with your daughter and that yeah. you, you said you love reading because books are just a way to get into the world, to take on the perspectives of others, which is for me the base of all morality is just all right and wrong or morality or good and bad or things that increase joy and decrease suffering in the planet to me stem from being willing to step out of your shoes and look at the world through the perspective and through the eyes of other people. Yeah. And I, I, so I was telling Tony um, before that I read this book and I feel a little silly about it. I just cried like a baby at the end of it. There was something so, I don't know, moving to me about having this really small child to have her point of view. I might cry right now again. <laughs> to have her point of view like so beautifully illustrated. Um, so the book that we read, I think there's several Ramona Quimby books and this one was Ramona the Brave. We just happened to get it at like a, a consignment shop for 50 cents or whatever. And um, I, it, it's just a story about a third girl who has a big sister and they you know, disagree a lot and she, goes to the first grade and doesn't like her teacher and really believes that her teacher doesn't like her. And it's written from her perspective. Whereas most parents would jump in and say, I'm sure your teacher likes you and like um, try to reassure the child. Rather, this book was doing what I would like to do as a parent when I'm empathizing with my child, which is like really hear out my child's perspective and understand what's going on for her without jumping in too fast to try and take that away, even if it's something painful. And so, yeah, there was something about this book where she does, there is sort of this catharsis at the end where she has an experience of like acceptance from her parents and her teacher 
And, uh, but it was very expressive of her inner world, of her emotions. I don't, I don't know if my daughter liked it as much as I did. <laughs> She's, I mean, she just turned five. So like these big long chapter books are like the, sort of the new frontier for her. You know, I think cognitively keeping track over days at a time of one character and one story. And um, yeah, I think that's so beautiful to have a child be able to experience a piece of literature that is really um, expressive and moving for them that depicts a person of their age, you know, yeah. roughly their age. For me, yeah, that's why I love film. That's why I love movies. It's just a way to just like, yeah, really sit in another perspective other than your own. So, and yeah, like you had mentioned, I think there's so many ways to do that and to normalize that conversation and to encourage your child to to think about other people's feelings. We mentioned in the first episode when we were talking about prime directive parenting, you and I both watched Star Trek The Next Generation. And I, I remember when I was first reading these books and first reading about um, Paul Ekman, um, who, who designed the facial action coding system and was at least at one point, just like one of the foremost experts in reading people's body body language and, and facial expressions. They made the TV show called Lie to Me based on him. Mm -hmm. um, I came across it because I used to teach an animation class here. And so all the animations that talk about like how to make really subtle emotional um, facial expressions in your characters um, comes from his work from the facial action coding system. Uh, and that that stuff is is actually really universal that the people that don't speak at any language or speak different languages or from different parts of the world a lot of that stuff is just truly universal you can normalize that conversation you know what do you think he's feeling what do you think she's feeling and i think that children are like geniuses at picking up this super subtle stuff mm -hmm. so i imagine as adults we often think kids are you know not able to i mean the truth is at young ages, children are very egocentric, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that they're not noticing or picking up these cues. I went on another tangent, but we uh -huh. had talked about Star Trek The Next Generation. I remember thinking Deanna Troy, in a way, kind of had a superpower in that, in that show. She was like the ship's counselor and her, her, her mom and father. I think her, one of her parents was human, the other was some race that is psychic in some way. And so she had kind of this superpower. And I just, I remember when I was reading about Paul Ekman and the work he did, which is really, it is not normal. I mean, his, his ability to read people, that's why the FBI hires him to train people. And uh, it's a very unique uh, skill set uh, that takes practice. It's not something I don't think our, our, to some extent, of course, all of us are born with. It's been evolved into us for billions of years, but it is a skill you can hone. And in my opinion, mm -hmm. a lot more useful than, than, than learning what a koala is, um, yeah. but and we don't ever a, really practice it. Yeah, and this is an interesting, I think, um, point where, you know, we talk about not interfering with our kids and letting them be their guide and stuff. And this is a way in which, you know, we are promoting our values that we value. And so the trick is how do we do that um without um labeling good and bad and right and wrong you know that we we value 
paying attention to what other people think and feel. And we're mm -hmm. coaching our kids on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was actually the way of not moralizing. Like to me, the mm -hmm. root of all good or evil, and I don't think there is universal good and evil, but the, the good and evil in my book is all rooted from an understanding of the joy and suffering it causes out there mm -hmm. in the world. And so for me, it was just thinking, I don't need to teach, I don't need to moralize, I don't need to teach any kind of ethical code to my children if my children are practiced at considering the feelings of others. Yeah. And maybe it's because it's also a deficiency of mine. I don't really know. Well, and also I what- I to practice it myself. This is super fascinating to me, so I could go off on like a tangent here. Um, the interesting thing is when someone is feeling pain or sadness or disappointment or frustration or whatever, then the question is, well, what do we do with that when we notice that? Does that automatically mean that, you know, my child should give that child the toy that they were wanting? I think kids can simplify it into like, if someone is sad, then I did something wrong, mm -hmm. you know, or if my mom is upset, then I'm now bad or something. Mm -hmm. So it's like noticing that stuff and also being able to kind of to be empathetic, but also to have some like ownership, you know, of like if someone else is having their feelings, I don't necessarily have to do anything. And it also doesn't necessarily mean anything about me. Yeah. And I think too, that that, that becomes a lot easier when you are aware of all these different feelings you know i think i don't think concentrating on feelings then makes you take would necessarily then make you take on the weight of that that much more i think in a way it could yeah, be no easy. not necessarily yeah. yeah just depending on how we how we approach it i think yeah it's such an advantage to to cooperate with people and so i do think that that it's just evolved into us it's evolved into us to connect with people to to develop theory of mind and understanding of other people's perspectives it feels good even when you're getting in touch with someone else's sadness and anger i mean i'm sure you've had that experience just like the connection with another human even of them experiencing an emotion that doesn't feel good to you still feels good at least to me yeah so we can i think trust our kids that maybe not every time every circumstance but that like they're going to have a basically compassionate response to yeah. other people, like yeah. somewhere intrinsically built in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was this PBS Kids app. It's like one of the only apps I'll let her have on mm -hmm. Kindle. And there's this Daniel Tiger app inside of it with all these different games you can play. And one of them that she chose was like all about emotions, you know, and I didn't look at it that closely, but it was like, you know, pretty basic emotions, I think. And I don't know if there were little stories that go along or facial expressions, but, you know, yeah. And I think like talking about that stuff is so good. And the fact that she chose that, like, cool, you know, yeah. and those books, like the books that you're talking about, I could see reading those, you know, once or twice. It's probably not a book I would read over and over and over and over again, mm -hmm. you know, like some of the story books. Mm -hmm. We'll see. He's, yeah. he's still a little young for any of them, but I'm still already reading them to him because, yeah, you never know. You, kids get, kids glean a lot more than you think they do. Totally. So I have a book that I want to show off 
Shall I go into that? Yeah, we were going to go into like a bunch of our favorites, books we dislike, recommend, don't recommend. We both have lots of books here. One of our all-time favorites that we've read over and over again is Sylvester and the Magic Pebble by William Steig. And then eventually I realized he had written a lot of other books too. So here, this is Amos and Boris, which is one of our more, more recent ones. Mm-hmm. And it's about a mouse and a whale. One of the things I love the most is his language. It's just like really great words, you know, like it's super descriptive. It sounds artistic to me. The language is beautiful and it's not like dumbed down for kids. So like even at the beginning, Amos, a mouse, lived by the ocean. He loved the ocean. He loved the smell of sea air. He loved to hear the surf sounds, the bursting breakers, the backwashes with rolling pebbles. So, I mean, this is just, it's just literature, like any literature that we as adults would enjoy of like poetic language, imagery. It's like almost tactile, you know, it's descriptive. And this is where I think children's books, the way that we're seeing them can tie into radical honesty and radical parenting, because it's, uh, you know, you read a book to have an experience, you know, it not to like necessarily, uh, learn something but it's to like have a a, to be a human and be alive right and have this like connection with something outside of ourselves and so it's very what i this is probably my number one criteria for storybooks is like how descriptive is it you know this is something we practice in radical honesty workshops all the time it's like being less abstract and vague up here in our ideas and getting down to like sensory experience, descriptive, specific details. So, you know, he, he builds a boat and he goes through all of this super specific detail about building the boats and what he brings on. He brings, you know, a needle and thread for the mending of torn sails and various other necessities such as bandages and iodine, a yo-yo and playing cards. And I think he's so funny, right? Um, like other necessities, such as a yo-yo. And then he goes out to sea, and then I'm just going to read this one little part here. He was enjoying his trip immensely. It was beautiful weather. Day and night, he moved up and down, up and down, on waves as big as mountains, and he was full of wonder, full of enterprise, and full of love for life. And that is probably my other criteria for children's book is like, do they have a sense of wonder and like, um, you know, beauty and reverence? And then the adventure starts. Oh, this is my favorite page. One night in a phosphorescent sea, he marveled at the sight of some whale, some whales spouting luminous water. And later lying on the deck of his boat, gazing at the immense starry sky, the tiny mouse, Amos, a little speck of a living thing in the vast living universe, felt thoroughly akin to it all. Overwhelmed by the beauty and mystery of everything, he rolled over and over and right off the deck of his boat and into the sea. So there's like this mouse having this existential moment, right, in this children's book, and I just love it. So he rolls off, And then in most William Steig books, there's like a suicidal moment where Mm -hmm. the the crew, where the creature or the character like thinks, would it be easier to just lay down and die? Like Amos starts talking about 
what would it feel like to give up and drown? You know, and you would think, oh, let's like shield our kids from that. Mm -hmm. But it's in every one of his children's books, mm -hmm. William Steig. And I sort of love it now where there's this existential thing. And then, you know, he meets a whale and the whale helps him. And then later on in the book, he's able to meet the whale. So that you can get a like a feeling of like the flavor of his language, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a book that I love. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, I'll share one. Uh, so my, my son is 2,000 miles away from me right now. Uh, so I read virtually to him. And so I can't do a lot of the things that I think are fun doing. I have a bunch of videos of me reading with him in person. I love that a lot more. But when I'm reading to him remotely, um, this is one of my favorite books to read. So this is called Sing Sophie. And um, kind of every other page is, is it tells a little story about, about Sophie Adams. Um, but every other page is her actually singing. And so I pull out my guitar every morning and, and, and sing, sing uh, these little songs to him. My dog ran off, my cat has fleas, my fish won't swim and I hate peas, but I'm a cowgirl through and through. Yippee-ki-yi, yippee-ki-yoo. I love reading that to him because I can sing and be emotive in ways that are hard to be over video and, and remotely. Play some music. Yeah. Let him play. He's in constant drumming mode, so uh, huh. he can drum for me. I mean, it's mainly just the toddler thing, you know. Uh -huh. uh, but anyway, how, yes. old, how old is he now? Eight months. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I have a lot of books that I love that like talk about, you know, how the world works, you know. Um, and with those, I'm, I've been trying to just differentiate between ones that are a little like overly scientific. Like I've been reading to him these, these rocket science for babies and quantum relativity for babies and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Quantum relativity for babies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I could use an, up, an update. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a set of four of them that that I've gotten for him, and you'd recommend re recommended Julian as a mermaid, and one of my other friends um, who recommends a lot of stuff uh, to me just through Instagram and stuff also uh, posted. He's loving reading that book to his son. Cool. Did you want to say anything about that one, or do you have that one with you? Yeah, I actually can share my screen. The trick is, how do we select books? that illustrate the values that we hold without being dualistic and moralistic. Okay, so it's called Julian is a Mermaid. You can see him there on the cover. So it's a bit gender bending in this really sort of wondrous, like whimsical way. He goes on the subway with his abuela and he meets these three mermaids. And my adult sensibilities are like getting this sort of transgender flavor here, right? And then that's not necessarily going to happen for a child. And then Julian has this sort of wonder and amazement of like, oh, he's like mermaids. And then he turns into a mermaid, says goodbye to the mermaids on the subway train. Then he goes home and uh, he sort of wrecks his grandmother's house. <laughs> he pulls off the curtain. He rips some things off of the plants and dresses up, puts lipstick on and dresses up as a mermaid. So at first, look at this look on his grandma's face. So there's a moment to be like, huh, I wonder what mm -hmm. his abuela's 
feeling right then. So she looks really mad, right? But then his, his abuela comes back with a gift, gives him a necklace. Just like the fish well, did. Yeah, yes, exactly, with the same pattern as her dress. And look mm -hmm. at their faces here. Look at Julian's face. Mm -hmm. And she takes him to the parade with all the mermaids. And she says along the way, we're going to uh, be with the mermaids like you, Niho. Let's join them. And they go on this. So there's like no sort of, there's nothing moralistic here to me. There's just this sort of like door that opens for this little boy when he meets these three mermaids on the subway and he feels drawn to them. And there's this sort of um, wonder and he goes and joins the, and then they have this big parade. So it's expressive and lively and celebratory, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm gonna stop sharing there. I, yeah, I love that one. Until my child has like an understanding of the difference between like fantasy and reality, I'm personally not gonna pick books that are too too steeped in fantasy. I love that one where he like has this fantasy. He's on the subway having this thought and daydream about turning into a mermaid. Mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of clearly a fantasy. I'm gonna show one that, that I don't really like. So okay. this is the, the wizard, the fairy and the magic chicken. And first it's just not like really relevant to the way the world works, but also, you know, like there are these, there are these monsters that are bad. And at least in a lot of books, monsters end up being just shades of gray or, you know, really good in some way. But with this one, you know, the monsters are bad. The, the, the fairies are good. It's just oversimplistic and not showing just as a contrast to Julian as a mermaid, not showing the world in the way I want to look at it. They're fighting the, fighting the monsters and, it rained so hard the monsters got wet and they shrank and uh yeah so it, it's just a good contrast to Julian as a mermaid this is something I I won't be reading to my child I didn't get the whole fantasy thing what you were talking about well I didn't want to go too deep into the book but the idea yeah. is I mean that that wizards don't exist monsters don't oh, exist. it's even I that, see, I see. even that okay. simple um, uh -huh. for me like right. I'd rather like this bats book that I showed earlier this talks about how bats can freaking see by making noises and how they're like blind, but they can see like, this is fantasy and fantastical and amazing. Right. You know? It's like truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah. It can be this like fantastical, magical thing, but it's actually true. Yeah. And like, yeah. this is manatees and it talks about how, how sailors used to see them and think that they look like, like humans and that they were like mermaids um, mm. and talks about yeah how they were confused for for mermaids so personally again until my child really understands fantasy from from real life i'm gonna steer clear of the of these and you know we had talked about like this one too this is about an owl so very different from the bats or the manatees that i just showed it's it's all about some kind of fantastical um Native American story about like where owls came from or something, which to mm -hmm. me just isn't grounded in reality. And I'm going to share a few more that I don't like. They're all on similar themes. This is this is Pecos Bill, and for me, it it it's a lot of fighting. So it it kind of deals with it's 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 just fighting, good and oversimplified, good and bad. And 
violence and the good guy is strong and wins mm. and it's just not reinforcing messages I want. Right. So and that always happens, right? The good guys always win by yeah. brute force. No yeah. less. And a lot of these books have good things too. This is another one. There's good things about it, but it, it, this one really reinforces gender roles to me. And I don't really want, I'd rather a book like Julian is a mermaid that doesn't overemphasize that. This is a cute little totally harmless book if you see a kitten. Um, but, you know, like it's, if you see a pig, you say P-U. If you, see a, if you see a slug, you say yuck. You know, if you, say, if you see a kitty, you say ah. So it kind of like tells mm -hmm. us which animals we're supposed to like and which animals we're supposed to be scared of. You see, you see a slug, you say yuck. Um, and yeah, I, I want, if my kid loves slugs, yeah. I, want, I want him to love slugs. Lots of these fairy tales, again, have kind of like violence and focus on kind of like fighting and magic in ways that, again, there's so many great books. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Tony, because I want to like backpedal a little bit. Like before when I was saying I didn't like the books that were just information about ABCs and one, two, three. I love books like that that go into such descriptive detail, you know, about the bats or whatever it is. Uh -huh. um, and that's a place where, you know, I think kids can get really enthralled with like this, um, stuff that's actually true, right? I mean, it's science and biology and whatever, but we can go into this really um, descriptive, concrete detail that they can really grab onto and mm -hmm. relate to. And to me, that's, that's actually another value that like in a sense of promoting, you know, like I value the natural world and protecting our environments and that kind of thing. Being in touch with our senses with the descriptive like um concrete experience like that i think is what is going to guide our kids i mean that's what we practice in radical honesty yeah and i love you know like there's so many books that that just talk about diversity if your kid is being raised in an area where there isn't a whole lot um this is one i, I really like so it's just called a country far away and it just tells a simple story of of a boy and um it just says today was an ordinary day i stayed home up top you see this boy kind of living in africa and down below probably america or europe in some suburb i helped my mom and dad and it just shows kind of what that looks like for both of them today was the last day of school before vacation again this is outdoor kind of like school in Africa versus somewhere in the West. Um, I went bike riding with my, one of my friends. Um, and then what was at the end? My cousin came to visit. We stayed up late. We looked at pictures of a country far away. And so this is the, the kid in Africa looking at a picture of, of like wherever the other kid is from. Is the kid in, in Europe or the US looking at pictures of Africa and says, I, I, I'd like to go there someday and make a friend. Mm. It's a cute. Oh, cool. I, I'm going to, I love that one. I, I'm going to, I wrote that down so I can get that. Yeah. It looks to me like the illustrations are quite detailed. Like you could really spend some time looking yeah. at each one of those. Yeah. There's so much and, going on. Yeah. That's really cool. 
Do you have any others you really wanted to share? Yeah, well, there is one that I want to do that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do that quick. So like that one that you just shared, what's so cool is that the illustrations are like a, a child is gaining so much by without words or messages or explaining. They're just looking at illustrations and seeing all these you know, differences and um, out of a curiosity. And I'm big on, you know, beautiful illustrations, like Juliana is a mermaid, it's just so gorgeously um, drawn and illustrated. And there was this one book, I'm gonna share my screen again, that I was super excited about. I like reserved it and put it on hold and everything at the library. And it's called, We Are Water Protectors. Let me share my screen with you again. And like, I almost feel bad talking about all these books that we don't like, but to be honest, when I go to the library, well, we can't go anymore, but I spend like a lot of time sorting through books and probably 90% of the books that I come across, I don't check out because they just like don't meet what I'm looking for. So, you know, I think parents who are really, um, conscientious in this way or that you're going to come across tons of books that you don't like and you're trying to like filter through the rubble for the, the gold so we are water protectors can you see this yep okay water is the first beautiful illustrations i mean like gorgeous like i would like cut these pages out and put them on my wall right mm-hmm. um water is the first medicine nokomi's told me we come from water it nourished us inside our mother's body. So that's pretty specific and pretty like relatable. You know, a child can look at this picture and like, no, yeah, I was a baby in my mama's belly once upon a time. But when we get into this stuff about it nourishes us here on Mother Earth. Okay, well, how? How does water nourish us? We drink it. But that's pretty basic, right? Water is sacred, she said. Okay, so how is water sacred? It's very kind of general abstract, like up in the idea sphere. Um, And then this is a refrain that happens. We stand with our songs and our dream and our drums. We are still here. So that has some emotional resonance for me because I read we are still here. And I think about, you know, Native American peoples being decimated and and hardly mistreated. And my daughter doesn't know about any of that yet. And she's not gonna learn about it quite yet. So that means nothing to her, right? So this beautiful poetic thing, it's just not gonna get through to a child. The river's rhythms run through my veins, runs through my people's veins. It's a beautiful idea. It just doesn't do anything for a kid, I imagine. My people talk of a black snake that will destroy the land. We know as adults that the black pipe is an oil pipeline, right? My daughter was so confused when we read this. She couldn't figure out like, is it a pipe? Is it a snake? What's going on? Anyway, it goes on and on like this. Very, very abstract. And um, at the very end, there's a, it looks like a protest but it doesn't actually, okay, sorry, there we go. I don't have it turned the right way. We are water protectors, we stand. The black snake is in for the fight of its life. So this, I would like love to teach my daughter about social protesting and what does it mean to stand with other people? What are you doing? Who are you standing against? 
what actually happens when people protest. And like, none of that detail is in here, right? So I see this and I know as an adult that this looks like a protest. For my kid, you know, not that she, there was nothing in this book for her. So I guess that was a pretty drastic example of what I think happens in a lot of children's books when it comes to very well-intentioned books that are trying to teach something. They don't like succeed, first of all, they don't work. And, um, you know, a story about like one person going to a protest and then what happened afterwards, maybe that would be a story that speaks to a child, but we want those, when I'm looking for a, a book for my daughter, I want like those really descriptive, concrete details that tell a story that, uh, that arise emotion in us. And um, ideas are not gonna really, that's not how we're gonna teach values and ideas. For me, yeah, books that explain how the world works and help him familiarize himself with that and fill him with wonder about, you know, figuring out how the world works. Um, I just prefer so much more than kind of fairy tales that may in some roundabout way kind of maybe teach something valuable, but you know, I'll show some other examples on the same topic. So like this is Cactus Hotel. Um, <clears throat> just going through the whole kind of life cycle of this, of this cactus, you know, that the, the squirrel ate the seed and then slowly it grows and then, you know, birds and bees are kind of eating off it. This bird makes a home in it. Sorry. Um, you know, all around the desert, there's holes of every size for foxes, for ants and mice and lizards and snakes. And then, you know, eventually the, the cactus dies. So it goes through the whole life, life cycle of this cactus and it dies and it says after many months, you know, there's still like ribs, they're home for insects and the ground snakes huddles in, in its shadow. So yeah, I, I just, I like books like this that talk about how the world works. I have a whole like circle of these books that just talk about kind of weather and rain and how, how the seasons work. The Arctic song, my favorite time of the year, first comes spring. Um, again, these are all just books that kind of talk about how the world works. And especially if you live somewhere like, like Colorado, which has very distinct seasons and four seasons, just like this kind of confidence and mastery and understanding of, of what's going on in the world around, around your children. Yeah. I have one more, but I need yeah. to go in the other room and get it. Okay. It's actually not a book. It's just a story. It's a Waldorf story that um, is told like just by voice, you know, okay. um, but I don't have it totally memorized. So I'll be right back. So while Kara's stepping away, instead of editing this out, uh, I'll talk about that. We kind of grouped these books into a few different groups. We have those emotion books that teach the literacy of emotion. We have these books that like arise emotion in us, like the Ramona book did with her and books like, you know, even just the, the, the joy that I have from singing uh, with, with my son. Um, then we have this category of books that reflect a worldview um, that we love and want to support. Um, books that foster that confidence and independence of understanding how the world works. 
And then uh, the last one, um, I don't know if this is in this category, but Kara really likes books that have this like um, story of overcoming, you know, overcoming adversary, adversity, overcoming uh, some kind of danger and showing, showing children that just have a lot of like agency. Is this book fit into that category or which, what, how would you categorize? Yeah, it does. It actually does um, perfectly. So there's something to me about that, that kids can identify with a character in a story that like really goes through like an actual hardship. And um, maybe, maybe I'm fixated on that because I sort of have this thing inside me that's like, oh, but I need to maybe like shield my child from danger struggle. or even reading about danger or struggle right mm -hmm. and so yeah and i think it's really um therapeutic in a way to like be able to have that uh like kids so often are so powerless right when they're little like ours are and it's to be able to identify with this overcoming this being being of agency in themselves you know i love that a lot of kids books you know the adults are like totally over there somewhere like, like charles you know? schultz or the peanuts or whatever or they don't the, even yeah. speak the same language yeah and it's like the kids have this whole world where yeah. Wow, yeah, wow, wow, wow. they don't even speak the same language. and i just think that's so cool that kids can have this world where they are completely in the cause and effect of every you know on their own with this sort of independence of um this this story is a little bit differently but so this ties in in two ways that sort of thing about sort of like going out into the world on your own mm -hmm. this is for small children but also in terms of you know i have the same feeling as you tony with the fairy tales a lot of fairy tales i just don't can't get that into it it's too uh, like fl fluffy or abstract this is kind of an allegory, I guess, maybe you would say. Mm -hmm. Waldorf education is really into stories as being therapeutic and being allegorical, but there is a, there is a, a that um, concrete element to it. So. What is it? You haven't told us. Before I start. Okay. No, I'm you haven't told us you. what it is. I won't do the whole thing. So I don't even know the title of it but it's this story that I got from my kid's school when she was first starting school. Okay, there once was a little red hen. She wandered all around the barnyard and scritched and scratched on the ground, searching for tasty tidbits to eat. Sometimes she took a sip of cool water from the sparkling brook, and sometimes she clucked together with the other hens. One day, the little red hen laid a round, shining egg in her nest. She knew that this was a very special egg and she fluffed up her feathers and sat down right on top of it to keep, keep it warm. There she stayed and she did not wander around the barnyard anymore. She didn't search for tasty tidbits to eat. She didn't sip cool water from the brook and she didn't cluck with the other hens. Inside the egg, there was a little chick. It was so wonderfully warm and cozy inside the egg and the little chick felt so happy there that she decided she never wanted to leave. The little chick began to grow and soon the egg began to feel a bit cramped, but it was still so wonderfully warm and cozy inside the egg and the little chick felt so happy there 
that she still didn't ever want to leave. The mama hen kept sitting on her egg, but she was beginning to feel hungry for some tasty tidbits from the barnyard and thirsty for a sip of cool water. She began to miss clucking with the other hens. Inside the egg, the little chick kept on growing bigger. She was feeling more and more cramped inside the egg, but it was still so wonderfully warm and cozy inside the egg, and the little chick felt so happy there that she still didn't ever want to leave. It goes through a couple more cycles of this, and then um, at the end, she began to wonder what it was like outside of her egg and what the wide world was like. She wondered what the wide world was like and what kind of adventure she could have there. She was a very brave chick and gathering up all of her courage, she began to peck the shell with her strong beak. She pecked and pecked until she had made a tiny opening in the shell and the light of father son streamed in. Excitedly, the little chick pecked and pecked to make the opening larger. Then the little chick jumps out and, and searches for tasty tidbits to eat and sips from the cool brook and does all of the things. And, and the mother hen also do, does those things. And the very end is when father son went down behind the hills, the mama hen came to find her little chick. Then they snuggled up together as warm and cozy as could be and went to sleep in their nest. So that's considered a, called a protection story like in the Waldorf education world. And so there is something allegorical about it, obviously, for children who are going off to school for the first time. And it's a bit therapeutic for the parent as well. I may, might say the mama hen is like sitting on the egg, like wants to go like cluck with her friends, right? And so I do, I think there is a way to do allegory where it is, um, is specific and concrete and sensory enough that and a child will glean something from that, even though it's not like bang on your head, obvious. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. You had also uh, said something about, um, William Steig books and Brave Irene and, and just children having agency. Do you want to say anything about those? Yeah, so the one, yeah, and the one that I chose, this is a William Steig, Steig book, The Amos mm. and Boris, that mm -hmm. I read. And his other books that we love are, yeah, Brave Irene and Sylvester and the Magic Pebble, mm -hmm. where, yeah, there's like a really serious thing, like you fall off your boat into the ocean and you're basically gonna die if something doesn't come along and happen. Mm -hmm. And it, all, of, all of those books have that element where there's some real um, obstacle that the character overcomes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's like a real adventure, I think, for the child. On, on that note, one of my favorites and one that I've, I've bought for Arlo is this uh, Mr. Rabbit and the Lovely Present. It's Charlotte Zolotow. It's illustrated by Maurice Sendak, the one who did Where the Wild Things Are. Nice. Both Alfie Cohen and Janet Lansbury uh, talk a lot about sports casting. I think they, they don't all use that language, but it's essentially just like not drawing conclusions for our children, not, not teaching, not doing anything, just kind of like putting words to the experience letting them know you're there with them. Like, I see you're really 
struggling with that or I see you know I see you shaking that rattle or whatever it's just they say that's that's kind of one of the best ways to interact uh, with your child and I loved this book so this is like this little girl and this kind of fits in your idea of like needing agency and she she comes to the rabbit she's like I want your help Mr. Rabbit and he's like help little girl I'll help you if I can I'm just gonna read read a few lines and just pay attention yeah. to what the rabbit's response is to her every time. So she says, yeah, Mr. Rabbit, it's about my mother. Your mother, said Mr. Rabbit. It's her birthday, said the little girl. Well, happy birthday to her then, said Mr. Rabbit. What are you giving her? That's just it, said the little girl. That's why I want help. I have nothing to give her. Nothing to give your mother on her birthday, said Mr. Rabbit. <laughs> Little girl, you really do want help. Um, I would like to give her something that she likes, said the little girl. Something that she likes is a good present, said Mr. Rabbit. But what, said the little girl. Yes, what, said Mr. Rabbit. <laughs> she likes red, said the little girl. Red, said Mr. Rabbit. Well, you can't give her red. Something red, maybe, said the little girl. Oh, something red, said Mr. Rabbit. <laughs> what is red, said the little girl. Well, said Mr. Rabbit, there's red underwear. No, said the little girl, I can't give her that. There are red roofs, said Mr. Rabbit. No, we have a roof, said the little girl. I don't want to give her that. There are red birds, said Mr. Rabbit. Red cardinals. No, said the little girl, she likes birds and trees. There are red fire engines, said Mr. Rabbit. No, she doesn't like fire engines, said the little girl. So the idea is like, he's just, he's kind of adding nothing. He's just there with her for her own yeah. discovery, for her own experience. So she, she finds red apples. So there are red apples. And then, you know, well, what else does she like? Well, she likes yellow. Oh, you can't give her yellow. So it kind of goes through that exact same thing. There are yellow taxi cabs. I'm sure she doesn't want a taxi cab, said the little girl. The sun is yellow, said Mr. Rabbit. I can't give her the sun, though I would if I could, said the little girl. A canary is yellow, said Mr. Rabbit. She likes birds in trees, said the little girl. I already told you that. Yeah. <laughs> that's what my daughter would say. I and told you that twice already. That's what Mr. Rabbit says. That's right, you told me. Well, butter is yellow. Does she like butter? We have butter, said the little girl. So then they find bananas and they give, her, they give her bananas. They do the same thing with green. What is green? Spinach is green, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they find a Bartlett pear to give the, to give the mom. And with the, with, when they're talking about what's green, he says, well, parrots are green, said Mr. Rabbit, but she likes birds and trees. So he's like learning after two times what the, what the girl said rabbit might even be imaginary whatever but she's doing it all by herself she's not wow. overcoming any great adversity but he is mr rabbit is the textbook for just sports casting and just being there with with yeah the oh, i love that i really love that yeah me too mr. rabbit and the lovely presence yeah that's so sweet yeah. yeah i do i i love that i'm gonna get that book too um i love doing that with my daughter um you know because if you ask my daughter just turned five if you ask her questions you know like oh how was school or what did you do yesterday it's like 
what does it matter? She's like, that was, that already happened. Like, yeah. Whatever she says, I often just repeat back to her what she said with a question mark after it. If she mm -hmm. says, Jada wouldn't let me swing on the playground or whatever, I'll say, oh, Jada wouldn't let you swing on the playground? And then she'll tell me more. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I can't, I almost like can't insert myself any mm -hmm. more than that if I really want to hear from her, you mm -hmm. know? Um, it's so interesting. We're just getting to that point, right? Where mm -hmm. like, we can talk about a lot of stuff, but not the way adults would. And so I'm still like learning how to do mm -hmm. the, the Mr. Rabbit, you know? So thank you everyone for listening. If you have uh, children's books you want to recommend that we need to see, um, I'm particularly really into these ones that, that are about um, emotions uh, and body awareness. This is the, the boy with big, big feelings. Mm -hmm. um, if you have any of these sorts of things you'd want to recommend, I'd love to hear them. But any books that you guys just love, uh, feel free to, to leave in the comments. Um, and, uh, and we'll be back in a week with a, another good book review. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to suggest for next week? Um, I can't currently process that in my mind because I'm realizing I got to go pick up my kid from school. Okay. Well, we had talked about, um, lots of parenting books. We've now read children's books. I think I want to talk about a, a book or in this case, an essay that's, um, not even, um, aimed at kids, uh, but, and not aimed at parenting, but guides a lot of my philosophy and is, um, why I chose the middle name I chose for my child. And that's um, Self-Reliance by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. So mm -hmm. next week, I think we'll do a, do a review of that and, and right. how or if it relates to, uh, to radical parenting. Sounds good. So thank you, Kara. Say hi to Elsie Jane for me when you go pick her I up. I will. Yes, right. I will. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you in a week. This was Radical Parenting Podcast. Mm -hmm.